radio host, Tim Marsh, was on the air one night interviewing this model, Jody Marsha. And jokingly, he told her he would be willing to leave his wife and two kids for her. Unfortunately, the wife was listening. And so she immediately got on eBay, and she listed his $45,000 Lotus Esprit Turbo Sports Car. Some of you might know what that is. She listed it as a buy-it-now option for $1. Well, the auction lasted exactly five minutes and three seconds before the buyer paid for it and drove away. And in a later interview, Mrs. Marsh or Mrs. Shaw said that the car had been his pride and joy, but the idiot put my name on it, and so I just didn't care about the money. I just wanted to pay him back. You know, sometimes... <laughs> When we get betrayed, we don't do the wisest things, do we? Sometimes we can react in ways that we regret in the long run. According to the dictionary, when someone betrays us, it's the fact that they've gone against a promise or they've helped the enemy or they've surrendered us underhandedly somehow. And many of you know what betrayal is like firsthand. Maybe you've had a spouse leave you for somebody else or choose porn instead of time with you. Or a boss take credit for an idea. Or a good friend may have ruined your reputation by spreading lies about you. Maybe a parent has abandoned you or neglected spending time with you after the divorce. An employee might have stolen money or clients when you weren't looking. And, you know, the list could go on and on, couldn't it? I have to say I've had my share of betrayals in my life. And um, one of the things I've noticed is the first reaction I have is shock. Shock. I'm surprised. And maybe you've had the same thing happen to you. You you kind of wonder, what the heck? Why didn't I see this coming? You know, I think we don't see it coming because we tend to let our guard down. We tend to trust those that we care about. And on one hand, trust can be a very good thing, can it? But on the other hand, we live in a fallen world with imperfect people. And we have these weaknesses and we have an enemy who's just there ready to pounce on those and destroy relationships. And so sometimes we do things we regret. Sometimes we hurt others. And sometimes we get hurt. And, you know, we need to know how to handle that. What does the Bible have to say about betrayal? We've been in the book of John this month, and we started at the point that Jesus was traveling into Jerusalem with his disciples at the height of his popularity. And Scott talked about how he rode into town on a donkey and people gathered there to celebrate the Passover festival and they just lined the streets cheering his arrival. But over the course of less than a week, Jesus' popularity plummeted. Those same crowds that had cheered his arrival shouted for his execution. How could this happen so fast? What, what happened? Well, the answer was betrayal. Jesus understands the pain of our betrayal because he's been there. He's had it happen to him. And how did he handle that betrayal? Well, that's what we're going to look at. So how can we follow the example he said? And the first thing is we have to face it. We have to face it. And this is a difficult step. Many times the last thing in the world we want to do is face the truth, face the facts. And it can be tempting to just... Live with your suspicions, deny their significance, sweep things under the carpet. Sometimes we choose denial over facing a betrayal. 
sometimes equally as unhealthy. We face the betrayal, but we avoid the betrayer. You know, we run, we hide, we do anything we can to be in the same room with the person that hurt us. And what we're going to see is that Jesus did neither of these things. He faced both the truth and his betrayers. He went to Jerusalem knowing that he would be betrayed there. And once he got there, he faced off with the religious leaders, his opposition. And he spoke some hard truths to them. He really got in their face. And it was during these couple days when that was going on that Judas, one of his very own disciples, went over to the other side. And he sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus, as Mike talked about at the Last Supper, confronted Judas about his betrayal. But as Jesus chose to face the truth, face his betrayal, things didn't get better for him. In fact, the opposition grew. And this is where we're going to pick up in John 18. It tells the story of, it says, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples And he entered a grove of olive trees. Judas, the betrayer, knew this place because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples. So here we see Judas. I mean, we see Jesus. He's he's going to the same places he's always gone to. He's not hiding. He's going somewhere where Judas could easily find him. The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. And now with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons... They arrived at the olive grove. Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet them, again, boldly facing his betrayers. Who are you looking for, he asked. Jesus of Nazarene, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And Jesus said, I am he. And they all drew back and fell to the ground. I think they fell back because of Jesus' obvious power and authority, and it just kind of overcame them. I mean, he was making a powerful statement here. He was saying, I am he, I am God. Jesus boldly faced his betrayers, and he did it with this dignity rooted in his true identity. You know, dignity can be a precious thing if you've been betrayed. You know what I'm talking about. There can be this inherent loss of dignity when people you know and love turn against you. You know, uh, when a spouse wants a divorce, when parents reject you, when those you thought were friends lie about you and others believe it, when kids walk away. I mean, these are things that you don't want to just shout from the rooftops, right? You're not proud of it. It, it's really humiliating. And, and there can be shame that comes with it, not so much maybe because you haven't done anything wrong, but maybe because others think you have. And you know, these feelings only intensify when we hide, when we run, when we choose not to face things. It just gets worse. You see, anyone can run and hide, but not anyone can face things. Jesus spent hours in the garden before this scene. Many of you know this story. He was there with his disciples, and he was praying, and he asked them to pray with him. And the prayer was so intense. There was such a struggle that he sweat drops of blood. It wasn't easy for him to face his betrayers. It took power. It took supernatural help from God. It's going to be no different for us. Um, 
This last week I had an experience, wouldn't you know? And uh, I had, uh, oh, last fall sometime, some relatives of mine, I had been calling, and they just wouldn't return my calls. And I found out from some family members that they just didn't feel comfortable being around me anymore. So that was a bummer. Kind of went through the holidays with that whole scene going on and and uh, just been conflicted and feeling so rejected over this thing. And so this last week, you know, I just felt like when I was working on the message, God said, it's time. Time for you to go and, and talk to them and stir the pot and face this, you know. And so I went to the store. I got some flowers and a card. I heard one of them was sick and showed up on their doorstep unannounced. Yeah. <laughs> like Jesus. <laughs> and uh, so they were, they were very gracious, and they opened the door and uh, said they were glad to see me. And we sat down, and, and you know, there was this moment where I could have just swept everything under the carpet. I mean, it was that right there for me, you know. We're glad to see you, and everything's great. And, and I, I said, I'm not great, and I don't know that you really are glad to see me. And there it went, <sighs> you know. Whoa, <laughs> fireworks and an hour of, of things being said and, and really hard things. I don't want to sugarcoat it. It was, it was really, really hard. But at the end of the day, um, you know, we hugged and uh, we, they thanked me for having the courage to come out. And, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I'm cautiously optimistic. <laughs> I got home and my husband's a detective the police department, and um, he wasn't so happy about my courage. Um, he, he was kind of like, uh, why didn't you take me with you? And I'm like, well, you know, uh, yeah, all right, you know, and, and it made me kind of think, um, see, he and I both in our professional lives and in our private lives have helped our fair share of uh, couples go through um, domestic violence. And sometimes um, facing things has meant that they, one of them steps up and say, this situation isn't safe, and get a restraining order. So I'm, not, I'm in no way saying that sometimes facing things, you know, you go put yourself in an unsafe situation. That's, that's not it. What I'm saying is that we have to be led by the Holy Spirit. We have to do things sometimes that take courage and take God's help and take the help of other, other people. So here's the question, is if you're struggling with a betrayal um, in your life, have you told anybody what you're going through? Have you shared it? Have you asked for prayer? Have you thought about counseling? Have you opened up with your life group about it or come, come seeing a pastor? You know, if we're going to face situations like this, we're going to need not only God's help, but we're going to need the help of other believers. You know, we're going to need kind of this web of support underneath us, because it's, it's not an easy thing to do, is it? So if we're going to handle the pain of a betrayal, Jesus side, then we're going to have to face it. The other thing we're going to have to do is we're going to have to trust God's plan. I had a, a friend a number of years ago, Candy, who modeled this for me, and I've just never forgotten this story. Um, they had been married for a couple, um, um, well, long enough to have two kids. And um, her husband got addicted to drugs and alcohol, and with that came unfaithfulness. 
And so she worked hard and, and long with him on this marriage, and they tried recovery a couple times, and things just couldn't resolve. And so finally she ended up filing for divorce. And so, you know, there's that process, that time from filing till you actually sign. And on the day that she was supposed to sign the papers, she felt like she heard God tell her, I'm going to give him back to you. And she stopped and she thought, well, I, I didn't know that I wanted him back. <laughs> and then turns out that he had checked himself into recovery again. But this time, God did a miracle. This time, they were able to reconcile. And it had been a couple years since that event when I talked to her. And I was just wrestling with this whole idea of, you know, how can you be in relationship with him now and not be afraid you're going to get hurt again? And she just said, she goes, I trust God. And, and I said, but yeah, but how do you know things are going to, I mean, this, you could, I mean, what? You know, and she was like, I trust God. She didn't trust that nothing bad was in her future with this guy. She just trusted God, you know, and it was just so powerful. You see, my friend not only faced the betrayal, but she faced her future, trusting God and his plan. And this is the the thing we're going to see with Jesus next is is he does just exactly the same thing. Verse 7 says, once more, he, being Jesus, asked them, who are you looking for? And again, they replied, Jesus the Nazarene. I told you that I am he, Jesus said, and since I'm the one you want, let these others go. He did this to fill his own statement. I did not lose a single one of those you've given me. Then Simon Peter drew his sword, and he slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. But Jesus said to Peter, put the sword back in your sheath. Shall I not drink the cup of suffering the Father has given me? Notice (laughs) he didn't say, shall I not drink the cup of suffering Judas gave me? I just think that's really super significant here. I mean, how many times do we do that? How many times do we hold the person that hurt us responsible for what we're going through? And yet, not Jesus. He saw his circumstances through the lens of God's plan for his life. And he was willing to take what was happening like it was coming from God's hand to his. I think he believed that God had allowed this betrayal for a purpose, a purpose that was bigger than himself. Here's the question. Could it be that God also allows betrayals in our lives for a purpose? Doesn't that just blow your mind? I mean, how do you negotiate that? God is love. I mean, would a God that loves us allow that? Would that really, I mean, really? Would he have not shown me this truth about this person sooner? Would he have really let that happen? Why didn't he protect me? I mean, these are the questions I have when I've been betrayed, don't you? And, you know, I I remember years ago grappling with this in in a big way. And uh, it, I, I ended up going to these verses about protection, like Psalm 32, 7. It says, for you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. And I sat back and I thought, God, you did not protect me. You did not. But I looked up this word protect, and it means to keep thee. And what the psalmist is really saying is he said that God would sustain him in trouble, not prevent it from happening. 
So clearly God allows betrayals, but he promises to sustain believers through them. And like Jesus, our trials may be allowed in our lives for a bigger purpose than we can see ourselves. And we're going to have to trust God. We're going to have to trust him to work out his plan for our life. Think about this for a minute. Think about what had happened, what would have happened if Peter had been successful. Peter, you know, they started these swords and Jesus escaped. And what would have happened? Jesus would not have been crucified. Jesus would not have gone to the grave. He would have not rose three days later. We would not have the offer of eternal salvation through the blood of Christ. There was a purpose, and it started with a betrayal. It can be challenging to trust God with a betrayal and believe that somehow it's part of this bigger plan that he has. However, it's a choice that we can make. Rob Bennett is an example of this. He's a Christian marketplace leader, and he says that when he was betrayed and it ended with him being fired from a job, it was the best thing that ever happened to him. The best thing. Because what he found is a door open to his future that he would never have seen had he stayed employed. And now he spends part of his life investment helping others who are going through that same sort of thing. So you see, whether we can see it or not, somehow, some way, our betrayals in the marketplace with our family, with our friends, have the potential to not only bless us, but bless others one day. We're going to handle the pain of a betrayal Jesus style. We're going to have to face it, trust God's plan, and then we need to lay down our pride. This is a tough one. I mean, things that handle, that happen in our lives at the hands of others can be no less than shocking sometimes. It can be hard to accept. And it can be tempting to fall into this pride that, that says, you know, I would never do something like that. It's a scary place to be. In 1960, Israeli undercover agents orchestrated the kidnapping of one of the worst Holocaust masterminds, Adolf Eichmann. He had gone to South America and was hiding out, and they went and captured him, and they, they took him back to Israel to stand trial. Well, the prosecutors called a string of witnesses, former concentration camp uh, members, and one of them was named, I don't know if this is right, but it's Yael Denur. And somehow he had miraculously survived Auschwitz. And so on this day that Denur was supposed to testify, he entered the courtroom and he just stared at this man sitting behind this glass booth the man who had murdered his friends, who was responsible for the slaughter of millions of Jews. And as the eyes of the two of them met, the victim and the murderer, the courtroom just fell silent. I mean, there was just this tension with this upcoming confrontation. And Dunur began to shout and sob, and he fell to the ground, and nobody knew what was going on. Was he overcome by hatred? Was he having flashbacks and memories about what had happened? Was it the evil incarnate on Adolf Eichmann's face? No. In a later interview, he told 60 Minutes that actually what had happened is he saw Eichmann as an ordinary man, just like anyone else. 
And he said, in that instance, I came to the stunning realization that I'm capable of doing just like he. Just like he. You see, Denur's compassion for his betrayer was found when he realized that I'm no better. You know, he laid down his pride and he realized that he wasn't above failing others in big ways himself. Jesus, even though he never sinned, he he was perfect, faultless, was humble, not proud. And he was compassionate and understanding when people let him down. And we see this play out with Peter. After Jesus was arrested, he was tied up and taken to the high priest's house. And all the disciples fled except two, John and Peter. And somehow they followed followed behind uh, Jesus and the crowd and the mob, and they were able to get into the high priest's courtyard. And while they were there, Peter was asked if he was one of the disciples. And he said no. Mm Mm-mm. John 18.25 goes on to say, Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire warming himself, they asked him again, You're not one of the disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, No, I'm not. But one of the household slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man that Peter had cut off his ear, asked, Didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? Again, Peter denied it, and immediately a rooster crowed. You see, Peter denied he was a friend, a companion of Jesus, even though he was one of his best friends. Jesus, uh, Peter was one of that inner circle of three that Jesus had actually spent the most time with, had confided in the most, had leaned on the most. And now here he is having trouble even saying he was his follower. The Bible says at that moment that the rooster crowed, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter And then Peter remembered the words the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you'll disown me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. See, Jesus had warned Peter. Earlier that very night, Peter was boasting about how he would be willing to die for Christ. He took quite a fall, didn't he? Pride comes before the fall. You see, we can't be proud. If we're going to boast, we better boast in the Lord. Our attitude when we're faced with a betrayal better be that there by the grace of God go I. The truth is we're all capable of a betrayal. And we're all capable of betraying Jesus. Have you ever considered that we may be as guilty as Peter was here? Think about it. How many times in our own way have we denied Christ? Isn't it true that we sometimes hide as Christians who we really are? Do we always take every opportunity the Lord gives us to share the gospel? Do we pray in public? Do we never act in ways that others wouldn't suspect we are Christians? And yet Jesus lays down his pride and he loves us despite our failures. The Bible says he knows how weak we are, and he has compassion on us. And so the question then becomes, can we do the same? Can we lay down our pride and have compassion for those who've betrayed us and for ourselves? Sometimes the hardest person to forgive is yourself. When you've betrayed someone, when you've let them down, when you've hurt them, 
It can be really tough, can it, to let yourself off the hook. But Jesus says, hey, if you come to me, if you confess, if you repent, I'll forgive you. I'll wipe the slate clean. And so we need to do that. We need to do that on an ongoing basis. And and we'll spend some time here at the end of this message with that. But the rest of the chapter goes on to to describe Jesus' trial before Pilate, the Roman governor. And what we see is for doing nothing more than, than being himself, speaking the truth, stating why he came, he was sentenced to death. And it it was so unfair. It was so tragic. It's beyond our comprehension how this could have happened. It happened so quickly. But rather than be a tragic story, this is a victorious story. I mean, if we were to stop right here in our story, it, it would be tragic. There's no doubt about it. But if you read on, right, it, it's for many involved, this is a good story. Take Jesus, for example. You know, he went to the cross, he died, but he rose three days later. He was resurrected. That's what we celebrate Easter, you know, and, and that's what our faith is grounded in. It's not a tragic story. It's a great story. And what about Peter? Peter denied his best friend, um, gave up on ministry, Gave up on his dreams. It was a tragic, tragic night for him. He went out and wept bitterly. But it's not a tragic story for Peter. Because what happens is Peter went back to fishing. And uh, after Jesus rose from the grave, he went and found Peter. The Bible talks about how he was on the shore, Jesus was, and Peter was out in a boat. And Peter took sight of Jesus, and he got so excited, he jumped in the water and swam over to meet Jesus. He couldn't even wait for the boat to dock. And Jesus prepared breakfast, a fish breakfast for Peter, and and the two of them were restored in their relationship, and Peter was reinstated as one of of Jesus' disciples. And he went on to be an apostle, and, and on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, it was Peter that stood up and boldly gave the message where 3,000 people were saved in a single day. And it's Peter that has three books in the New Testament testifying to, to Jesus and who he is. Peter has a great story. He finished strong. What about Judas? Well, like Peter, Judas had tremendous regrets after Jesus was crucified. And the scriptures tell us that He went back to the religious leaders and he tried to give back the money and he was so distraught that he went and hung himself. His story ends here. It ends tragically. You see, I think Judas had the potential to be just like Peter. What would have happened had Judas repented? What would have happened if God would have instilled his grace into into Judas's life. Maybe there'd be the first and second Judas. You know, maybe there'd be a Judas cathedral somewhere, you know? We'll never know. We'll never know because Judas wrote his own ending. He didn't wait for God to write it. And so the last thing I want to leave you with today is if we're going to handle a painful betrayal like Jesus did, then we're going to have to resist judging our story too soon. Sometimes we get in a situation and it's so dark, we don't see how God is going to take this thing and turn it around for good. 
how he's going to bless us or bless others. And, and we write our own ending. And God doesn't want us to do that. God wants us to stay in faith and believe that he has a plan, even a plan for this hard, hard situation. And that he doesn't want us to give up on our dreams. And he wants us to wait and let him write the end of our story. So that's, that's what I want to leave you with today before we go to prayer is that whatever failures or betrayals or things you've gone through in your life, um, let's stand in a posture of faith and just, let's just resist judging our story too soon. Let's let God write a beautiful ending to our story. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, I just... Uh, I want to thank you, God, that um, you were willing to lay down your life, Lord, that you had the heart of a, a shepherd, Lord, who was willing to lay down his life for the sheep. And in that doing so, God, that um, you went through things that are unspeakable. And yet, Lord, you finished strong and you allowed your story not only to be an example for us, but, Lord, to be the end-all story, the story that allows us to be able to go to heaven and to be able to not die, but to live on eternity with you. And so, glad we're so grateful for your story. And I just, uh, just want to lift up anyone here today who's struggling with their story, who is in the midst of a, a hard, hard situation. And like this night where Jesus and Peter and Judas couldn't see the future. They couldn't see um, how it was all going to work out. Lord, sometimes we just don't see it. Pray that you would give us supernatural faith, God, to believe you, believe your plan, believe you know what's best. Lord, may, may we be an example to others as we walk through um, the hard things in life. I pray that people would see Jesus in us, Lord responding to pain and, and betrayal in a way that doesn't mimic the world, but mimics you. I was just going to ask if, um, if you'd like prayer this morning, um, would you just raise your hand if you're going through a, a really significant betrayal? Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Lord, I pray that for those that raise their hand, God, that your power would just come over them. Lord, your Holy Spirit that you would fill them with boldness, Lord, and courage and hope. And, Father, would you put people around them to encourage them, Lord, who will pray for them regularly, who will lift them up to you, God, and who will walk side by side with them as they journey through this. Thank you, Lord, for not leaving us alone. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, for other believers, for this church. And uh, we worship you today in Jesus' name. Amen.